Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks for joining us. Great episode today. It's with Hannah Reyes-Leeson, who you might know as Tina Tiny from the Tiny Stories, SC Lottery ads. But first, a bit of business. We posted last week's episode to our YouTube page. Go to youtube.com slash there it is to check that out, as well as the other stuff we have there. Brother of the show, Trey, has been enhancing recent episodes with clips and other little bits and fun things. So even if you've heard these episodes, there's something new in there for you. So check it out. Again, that's recent episodes on the YouTube page. I'd especially check out our Action Comedy Bracket episode. We also posted the old episode we did with actor and improviser Amber Nash. Amber has a film project in the works called How to Ruin the Holidays, and they have a Kickstarter to get that made. Along with Amber Nash herself, whose line is it anyway, veteran Colin Mockery is in the film. So it's, I think it'll be pretty cool. If you want to learn more about it and support it, go to howtoruintheholidaysmovie.com. Links to all this in the bio. Speaking of Atlanta-based actors and Dad's Garage improvisers, let's talk about today's episode. I loved this talk. Hannah is great. We talk about tons of things and about how to develop comedy when it's inspired by something that's delicate, like a tragic news story. I feel like we bonded. It was a really great talk. I hope you dig her as much as I do. Here's my chat with Hannah Reyes-Leeson. You are from... Minneapolis, correct? I am, yes, I am. But you now are in Atlanta. How long have you been in in Atlanta? I have been in Atlanta, that's a good question. I've been saying five years because I think it's around five years. I came, yeah, I think it's, I think it'll be five years next October. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's been a minute, a minute. As you might see over my shoulder, fellow Minneapolis is that that's Prince? A, that's a Prince uh, painting uh, that it's I got. Beautiful. <laughs> I do. I do love that most. Um, the two things I found from Southerners when they hear them from Minnesota, the first is that they always confuse it with Wisconsin. Okay. They're always yeah. like, I think that's very funny. They're like, Yeah, you're from Wisconsin. I'm like, Yeah, all right, one of the same. And <laughs> that everyone's always like, Oh, I love Prince. <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> the most famous person from minneapolis i guess mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah yeah well no i get the same thing I, i'm in new york now but anyone that i meet here they all think north carolina and i'm like well no south carolina is where i moved from i lived in south carolina <laughs> before moving here but everyone always immediately goes like you're from north carolina right so i don't know what it, outside if you're outside of the south Everyone, they they know North Carolina and Virginia and then like the rest of it. It's 
The rest of them don't exist, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are we to do? The same. It's all one mm-hmm. big blob. That really just means North Carolina, apparently. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. So you've been in Atlanta for five-ish years? Yes, correct. What brought you down to Atlanta? Um, acting, you know, acting, improv, and writing. Okay. Uh, that was always the dream, the goal. And I had been up in Minnesota and been doing it in Minneapolis for a bit. And someone just said, you know, if you're really interested, check out uh, Atlanta. And so then two weeks later, I just packed up my car and drove down. I was very much like, let's go for it. Wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Uh, I mean, there's Dad's garage there. Uh, so there's mm-hmm. a good scene. Good, um, a good. Obviously, a lot of acting work is happening there, but yeah, there's a really good improv scene there. A lot of really mm-hmm. talented folks there. Yeah. What improv were you doing in Minneapolis? Was there a particular theater you were working with? Yeah, it was a little bit of like. So I started a brand new workshop, but they their shows were pretty like they didn't really have open improv kind of like you see down here. Mm-hmm. So. I started a brand new workshop, just taking their classes. And then eventually I moved over to huge theater. Mm-hmm. So huge theater is where I started ask, doing yeah. something. Yeah. So I was at huge. And then I started a, a group a four man, four man, four woman, four person group called bowl of chili. Mm-hmm. And we kind of started performing, you know, anywhere we could in Minneapolis bars, pizza shops here and there. Awesome. But huge was, I guess, I guess if someone asked, I'd say huge was my, my home theater. Oh, yeah. Outlet. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I had Jill Bernard on early in the podcast. and uh, Oh, no way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, She's insanely talented. Yeah. We've had some a couple of Dad's Garage people on. Amber Nash has been on. Mark Kendall. Oh, cool. Yeah. Both extremely talented people yes. as well. Oh, gosh. So talented. Um, yeah. It's so talented that when I see something of Mark Kendall's, I'm like, well, I can't match that. So why do I bother? <laughs> yeah, why try? I think why try? If it gives you, if it makes you feel any better, I think every entertainer everywhere feels the same way. They see Mark do something, they're like, "Why? Why try and pursue comedy when this person exists? They got it." Got Everyone it just out. watch Mark Kendall. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna shut it down. Yep. Well, very cool. Why did you choose Atlanta based on that? suggestion over say Chicago or New York or LA? You know, that's a great question. I I actually was more between Chicago and Atlanta than I was LA. I think knowing I like thought practically, I was like, LA seems too quick. I just was like, Oh, maybe I can go to Atlanta and get my feet wet and kind of figure you know, figure out what the acting scene is like. Mm -hmm. And Chicago, uh, I think I just had convinced myself whether or not this is true, that Chicago would be great for improv, but not great for acting. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like there was a lot of projects filming there. And I wish I could tell you, Jason, that I spent a lot more time, but it really was more of a gut decision. I was kind of like, I think I want to go to Atlanta. <laughs> and it was pretty impulsive. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to Atlanta. That seems like a good idea. It sounds like it's worked out for you because uh, you're in a number of projects and mm-hmm. you're solid in them. And actually where I found you, was uh, Tiny Stories, because I was oh, back home oh, for the nice. holidays. And nice. I I saw a few different runs, of the, a few different ads of that. And mm-hmm. I thought, she's got a really interesting and unique quality and, and rhythm and comedic rhythm that I really appreciated and wanted to 
like talk to you because I want to know how you did that. How did that develop? How you got there? Um, cool. First of all, thank you. It's a very nice compliment. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, you're great in those spots. Thank you. And so obviously these are things that develop over time. When did you start performing? Were you in high school, college, or did you wait until you're out of school? When I started pursuing it, pursuing it, it was actually out of college and actually like a year, I think, after I got out of college. So I did the whole like, I went to school. I was actually pre-law. I graduated in pre-law. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I got a job in marketing and I sold cigarettes. So I was like a marketing director for Marlboro. And I was just really unhappy. I wasn't crazy about it. So when I was 22, 23, I moved back to Minneapolis and just jumped into improv. I thought improv would be good to help me act. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I've heard this is good. And I really just fell in love with it. The more I kept doing it, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about I think it really helped me find my voice. It, I also attribute a lot of what I'm thankful for as an actor now is to, I never really took acting classes. I took improv. So I understood acting with regard to improv, which was a lot of just react to what's going on in front of you. Right. You know? Yeah. Isn't that such a, I, that was an experience I had too when I started mm-hmm. reading about improv and taking improv classes because it is so much about the moment and being mm-hmm. true to the moment, but also picking up on what's coming your way and using that. And that I thought was such a brilliant acting technique because mm-hmm. you're, if you're just reading the lines and you're not incorporating how your scene partner's lines are being said to you, then you're not really doing justice to the scene. And what yeah. better ground for training <laughs> than for that is there than improv? Exactly. I don't think... I really don't think there is one. That's why I really do try and urge people to to try it when they can. I once had this, I guess I call him uh, like a, a teacher. I think he was an acting teacher. He's also like a casting director mm-hmm. here in Atlanta, Brian Beagle. He's, uh, he said, you know, I'm looking for moments, not memorization. And mm-hmm. so I always think about that too, where it's like people are so funny. They give off They give off things, nuances all the time. So improv is really fun if you're just – really just take your mind out of it and go in and just respond to what's going on in front of you. You're like, Oh, there's a million things happening all the time. Try not to set yourself up for one outcome. You'll be amazed at what you find. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, when I first started teaching improv, I was, well, I just did like a workshop. It was from this standpoint of like, well, there are all these different avenues that mm-hmm. a script can go in. So here are some lines, basic lines that don't have any clear meaning. So act them with this sort of meaning. And then it was used as a tool to say, to point towards your scene is really not in what you say, but in how you say it and how you're interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wish I had all the time in the world to just grind that lesson into myself. Um, I know, but there's not enough time. There just truly isn't. I know you could. <laughs> there's a million things we could sit in, but you're like, oh yeah. Then there's life and reality, and sometimes you just <sighs> get caught in it. So there's something. I, I wonder. I don't know if this is uh, a Minneapolis thing or a Minnesota thing. You kind of have the like this kind vibe. Uh, in talking Thank to you, you, but also from seeing you on Instagram, 
there's a very like sweetness that comes out kind of, I think, naturally. Is that like a Minneapolis thing or is that, is that a, a as Leeson thing? <laughs> that's like such a, first of all, that's just really cute. <laughs> is that a Minneapolis thing or is that an as Leeson thing? <laughs> I do think it's a Minneapolis thing. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying Minnesota nice. I haven't. Yeah, people, I mean, I heard it they're like, oh yeah, Minnesotans are so nice. And here's the thing is like, I think Minnesotans are nice. I also think they're really passive aggressive. Like they're very much the people that are like, everything's fine and good. But then if you cross them, you'll never know if you've upset a Minnesotan, but like everyone else around you will know. Cause they'll be like, oh, did you hear about this? So we seem really sweet to your face, but no, I think it comes. Well, it sounds like I think Southern. it does. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little bit. That's why I think I fit in. So I'm like, oh, you guys are the same with an accent, <laughs> different accent. But I, I guess there's something to be said about that. I also have three brothers and mm -hmm. we're all within five years. So I think that there's a patience and a kindness that comes from having a lot of siblings <laughs> around the same age. You just have to share. And after uh, a while, you're like, you know, like, OK, a <laughs> little bit of patience there. <laughs> and that probably also helps you in your improv uh being mm -hmm. patient and sharing the very stage. much so yeah well and it's like the, the fun thing that's about about improv yeah patience patience and then just being willing to drop your own agenda right like it, it teaches you a lot about paying attention like i always used to talk to students and people about like if you're listening all the time, you know, with your ears and with your eyes, you're going to, you're going to pay attention to so many things and, you know, people are going to reveal a lot to you. And I think there's also to be said about like that kindness aspect is I, I think the more time I spend around people, I'm pretty good at reading some of the things I'm like, Oh, you're giving off a lot of information right now. Mm. You're like, you know, it makes it easier to be receptive to like, they may be telling you they're having a great day, but their body language is telling you something else. And you're like, you, uh, you lying to me? So yeah, um, maybe there's something to that. That there is something to that. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Again, that kindness showing. <laughs> and that you're, you're so like, sweet. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling me kind. I'm gonna tell my mom. I'm like, hey, mom. Someone told me I was kind today. So. <laughs> well, I saw something where you were just like, oh, what was? It was some video. You're like on the street, and you had said something really nice to like whoever is watching, like you know, you're, you're doing great or something like that, or you look, you know, like you look great. I don't know what you, I can't remember. <laughs> it was just something very, uh, it was like very positive. And it was like, you're clearly putting out a very pos positive vibe. And then you shot a basketball <laughs> oh, <laughs> or threw yeah, a football, football or something. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was, was it a football through a basketball hoop? Is that what it was? <laughs> Yes, it was. I, I threw a basketball through a football through a basketball hoop. And then I, I think I said something, something silly. Like if I make this basket, everyone that's watching, like you're a cutie patootie. Yeah. And so then like, I got like all excited. Something very, very childish, like cutie patootie. Was, is a person. But it was delivered in this way of like, I think she really believes that. I think she I really do. wants to put out joy into the world. I really do. Then, like, there are moments where it's like, yeah, you know, I because I, and you know what, that's funny you say that. I think for a really long time, and I think people feel this, especially maybe as women, but I think I used to always think that being overly joyful and overly positive made me naive mm. and made me seem kind of dumb and made people seem simple. Mm -hmm. And so, I think for a while, I think a lot of us do this. I tried maybe to tone it down, and I was like, why am I? 
like, why am I so worried that positivity will make me seem simple minded? And so mm. I kind of think I threw that out the window as I started to get older. Cause I was like, why am I so concerned with this? Like, you know, at the end of the day, right. Wanting to be silly and goofy and make people comfortable. Cause I think the biggest thing for me and how I want to live my life is like, I just want people to feel comfortable around me. Right. You know, cause there's so much life can be so intimidating as it is intimidating. I'd love to be approachable. So if I'm saying cutie patootie, I hope to think someone out there's like, if she can say something that weird, <laughs> I can well, get away with much more. Yeah, it's also like just a cute phrase, cutie patootie. It's the cutest <laughs> phrase. Like, it's the best phrase. You call someone a cutie patootie. Jason, I, I urge you ne- this week to call someone a cutie patootie and just see what their reaction is. Yeah, I doubt they're going to be angry. Yeah. Um. If it's, you know, obviously the right person. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's actually true. Be careful what you say it to. There's some people, maybe. I, I, I do live in Brooklyn. Um, you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned that improv helped you find your voice. Uh, what would you say your voice is? Oh, man. Good question. Um, I guess I would try and say with regards to comedy and how I perform is I want there always to be a, an area of relatability. Mm. You know, cause what I really love about improv is, you know, there's like this great moment when you get people to laugh because it's them going, at least in my brain, like laughs I get or big laughs or moments where people are like, that's exactly what I was thinking. Mm. You know, it's that connectivity, which is always really fun. So I think there's an element of that. Like, it's kind of like, you know, adding some charm and some goofiness, like blending those two in an effort to make it a universal truth for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I'm looking at this thing and responding to it and I, I like, I guess I'd also say like, um, an unexpected relatability. I like, I like flipping the script. I like doing, which adds back into kindness is I like doing improv and people expect you like, you know, if you and I are doing a scene and you robbed me, people mm-hmm. might expect my reaction to be like, hey, stop that. And if you flip it on them and you're like, you know what? I had too much money. <laughs> Thank you. You know, like it's fun to watch people's mind kind of go like, oh, oh, this is the, na- okay, we're following this person. You know, what does this world look like? <laughs> That's very funny. Um mm. Speaking of your improv, you did, I, I didn't, I've never gotten to see you perform improv, but mm. I almost could have because you've been at the New South Comedy Festival, which I is have. my old theater. No way. Alchemy I love that Comedy. theater. Yeah. I love that theater. That it's like so long black box. Yeah. That is it's such, such a, a great space theater. for comedy. It's such a yes. perfect space because it it just is a, this tight space. It just sort of feels like uh, this the energy is sort of uh, pushed together. Yeah, it's been incredible. I've now been fortunate enough to perform there two years in a row. I think coworkers went one year, and really, really fortunate. It was really cool. I think they gave us like some kind of like best in show or like something because then because of that, we were invited to headline the next year. And I just remember like, that's the kind of improv spaces I love because it's a lot more people than you realize, but it mm-hmm. still feels so intimate. Like it feels mm-hmm. so close to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I would have loved to have met you and seen you. Cause that would, I love that experience. I hope that they continue to do that festival once everything clears up. They are. 
Oh, good. Uh, they are planning on doing it. So uh, I'm I'm very happy because the this was obviously a dicey past year, and I've for the podcast have been keeping up with festivals, and you know they, a lot of them if they're like alchemy comedy or performing in a theater that's in a coffee shop, mm-hmm. what if the coffee shop closes? You know, I, that's exactly. where you're going to go, and that's I think what a lot of theater for uh, festival producers were facing. Of, just like, mm-hmm. how do we keep our place open? Or we don't even know yeah. if the place we perform in is going to be open. But thankfully, uh, they are, they're going to be able to continue. They are just, uh, just I think, recently started doing some uh, smaller capacity shows, like one night a week, just to sort of slowly get back into doing live cool. shows. Yeah, so. Oh, good. That's exciting. Yeah. What years were you at New South? <laughs> It's been recent. I want to say like 2018, 2019. Okay. Like, because I know I went there. I think it was as recent as 2019. I don't know because like 2020, who even remembers anything that happened in that year? <laughs> right? I know. But I don't. I, it would have. Yeah, it couldn't have been in 2020 because it's a November yeah. festival. We went. Um, 2018, I believe. So maybe because uh, I was already living here, and then just uh, some members of my indie uh, improv team went down that year, and uh, oh, so really? okay. in 2018. So we were ships passing in the night. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I we definitely were. I know 2018 was one of the years I was there. I'm just trying to remember if it that was, was 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's Gosh. such a, that's a funny small world. Cause it's such yeah. a small venue to like be ships in the night with a person. Like we yeah. probably bumped shoulders. Right. Didn't even realize it. Yeah. And I'm, I'll have to look at, uh, if the schedule is still up, I'll have to see what nights we're on. Um, what, what, who are you performing with? Uh, the first year it was coworkers. So that's my two man, two person duo mm-hmm. with Jason Velasquez where, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen this or heard this before, but essentially the idea is that like we ask the audience for a place where two people might work and Jason essentially plays like a character in that world. And we're kind of following his narrative and his journey. And then I just play all the surrounding characters. Oh, wild. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So if he's like at Home Depot, you know, he's got a goal he's trying to reach. And I just happen to be the four or five other employees or people that he might see. Oh, wow. I would love to see that. That's a very interesting form. Yeah, it's very fun. It's kind of like the hero's journey. You know, you get Mm -hmm. someone like Jason picks a character with a problem and tries to overcome it. And I either help or I hurt the (laughs) adventure. More often than not, it's hurting. (laughs) But hurting in the kindest way. No, what? (laughs) The kindest. Yeah, I'm always smiling. It's very confusing for the audience. They're like, do we hate you? We don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um... Also, I think, and maybe it's uh, because you're a Minnesotan, and it's uh, since I saw you when I was in South Carolina, it, it stood out. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a certain way you talk, I didn't pick it up. I didn't pick up on it as an accent thing, but maybe mm. it is. But you do seem to sort of have a delivery system that is unique to you. That, please, actually, tell me more. I'm like, no one's ever told well, me Well, you kind of just did it when um, you said something a minute ago, and you kind of, it was almost like you said it out of the side of your mouth. 
Um, and it, it kind of makes yes. a, a word a little punchier and it kind of, it has this nice sort of flavor and it's, and it's kind of, it's kind of funny, you know, it's kind of like a nice little, uh, funny way to talk or, or to punch a word. Um, and I'm trying to think what else I picked up on in the, uh, tiny ads, but, um, you know, a lot of that was just like good acting. So <laughs> but. thank you very much. That's very kind. Um, I just think that's like, first of all, that's just so that's, I love hearing that kind of stuff, right? Cause you don't really watch. I'm not crazy about watching myself, uh, <laughs> whether on TV or like watching things back. I'm always like, let's get this over with as quickly as possible. Uh-huh. Um, so hearing that I talk, cause I do, I will, um, kind of like do things in that nature where maybe if I'm making a joke, I might be like, well, you know what I'm, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, there's oh, a lot of, gosh. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lean and there's side uh-huh. like, and it's funny you say that. I'm now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> well now I have been sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna I wanna hear what that thought was was because uh, uh the inflection sounded interesting. What what were you about to say? It's I like talking. Are you like a linguistics major? I feel like no. you have good like you pick up on stuff. I was also gonna say that I do know that it, a nature of how I perform. Uh, I've been told there's a lot of facial, big facial expressions. Yes. So oftentimes I'm never, I'm like, everything's big. Like I'm going to tell you on my face exactly, which is why I'm a bad liar. I'm very much just like. <laughs> but a good I've been actor. Told. Uh, that's Thank you. Yes. really good mm-hmm. for screen acting. I feel like. Yeah, it's just not. It's not fun. It's not like I've had friends mm. that are like, "Well, ask me things," and I'm just like, "Yeah, I don't." know why you're even asking me you know i do all the things eyes go up (laughs) you're looking all around (laughs) what that's who said that that's crazy i think something else that i'm picking up on is i think you remind me of my friend marie that is that's hitting me now i feel like all of a sudden i think you remind me of my friend marie and that might be why a a big part of why i think you're so great because marie is so great um (gasps) I'll have to meet this Marie. <laughs> yeah. I like her already. She's in South Carolina. Um, Is she? Mm-hmm. Okay. And yep, in Greenville. I adore her. Uh, so, you moved to Atlanta. You are pursuing improv and acting. Mm-hmm. For you, the what sort of acting work were you hoping for? Obviously, you were doing commercial work, but was mm-hmm. it? What was the the dream at the time? Um. I think if I asked myself that five years ago, it would just be to like go to Atlanta and, and do the thing, you know, figure it out and get on TV. And now that I've been in it and finding kind of my rhythm, I'm understanding more that my dream is now to write, produce kind of mm-hmm. like if you ever saw Fleabag. Yes. With, oh, I want to yeah. kind of follow that path of writing my own show. Cause oftentimes when I write, I write with my own voice at the helm, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of like insert myself and, I know my voice probably better, I think, than most. But apparently, you know my voice pretty well, too. So I might have to consult <laughs> you, Jason, on how I'm supposed to deliver these lines. Um, so that, would I would say, is now the dream. Like, I want to continue to act. Um, my goal, you know, I'd love to be a regular on a TV show and do those things. But my ultimate goal is to eventually write, produce. Very cool. Yeah, I was... I. I think I really admire people like that. It's something I strive to be. And I was just talking to someone who is doing a bunch of different work and they write and produce their own work. And cool. it is part of the reason you want to do that because 
and, and this is just what I was talking about with them, so I wonder if it's true for you as well, but is part of the reason so that you could be putting your own sort of stuff out there and and it, there's a benefit to that, I feel like, um, mm-hmm. because you're getting your own work out, but also showing the world who you are. Is that part of the mm-hmm. reason for you or is that uh, kind of a secondary plus? I'm sure that's definitely a big part of it, right? Like I, I really enjoy comedy and I'm, I'm working on as a Minnesotan and I, you know, as a human being, we're not great at applauding the things we're good at. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the talents I have is making comedy and situations relatable and digestible and funny. And I would love to continue to make things like that mm-hmm. and make, you know, content like that. Cause I write a lot of sketch and I've done shows and I'm like, Oh, I really enjoy this feeling of putting something out there that feels positive, that it has kindness and makes people laugh. And they walk away being like, Oh, that was so X, Y, and Z. Um, and I want to, I want to continue to create content and create shows in that way. Mm-hmm. And then also kind of touch on things like I, I would love to create stuff that got people talking in a unique way. You know, like you never watch a movie and you go away being like, you want to talk about it or you want to talk about the things. I think as entertainers, we underestimate the power of conversation or that conversation we can create. And that's always been really empowering to me. You know, like I would love to walk away from things that I do and empower conversations or empower people to, Mm. you know, look at things maybe in a different light. Like, you know, if maybe if I would respond more like this, or if I did something like that, or even, you know, there's so much going on right now in the world. Like, I oftentimes will make parody sketches that I put on Instagram and whatnot about things that are kind of heavy. And then my goal is that by reading through comments and seeing people as I watch people be like, yo, this is so real and funny. And then from there, it just feels like it stimulates. Like if you can make powerful, big things tangible, Mm -hmm. you can do a lot more work and maybe getting people out of their own way. Mm. That was a long-winded answer, but that's kind of my ultimate goal for anything I try and make. I, I would love to create change, and con- and that starts with conversation. Okay. How do mm-hmm. you, when you're, because I, I feel like I have a tough time finding an avenue to create humor or, or create comedy with the heavier topics. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you do that? How do you tackle that? Um. Yeah, I mean, that's actually something I really enjoy is uh, I do that. Like, I usually look at something um, and kind of try and break it down. Like, I look at what I see happening around me and I'm like, okay, great. What What is the, you know, what are the truths about this? What's true and what's false? You know, maybe breaking down. So, like, perfect example is I did I did a sketch about myself and my, my good friend DK, who's black. And it's this girl sitting on a bench talking about how like she takes a picture of a black guy and kind of doing the hashtag. Like we've seen this movement of like BLM and people kind of doing stuff and not necessarily continuing after Mm -hmm. a certain period. Mm -hmm. And, uh, with that, I was like, okay, what are the truths? Like, this is a real thing. Um, black voices are not being amplified. What are some falsities? Like, Another truth in that is that like oftentimes white people 
not oftentimes, most of the time, white people are getting in the way. White women especially are kind of like, hey, that we've always heard the term white savior and different things like that. And I'm like, okay, so here's some truths. What are some false? Oh, that, you know, it's white women are the saviors. White women are here to do it. And I'm like, okay, how do I make that a joke? Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I think it's, I'm probably just rambling right now, but it's just the no, idea that I look No, but I get what you're that. talking about. You're sort of like yeah. saying, you know, where are the, the, maybe a problem area or something like that, or what are the things that people right now think is right, but it's actually not. Like a lot of the, like 10, 15 years ago, it was really popular for people to take mission trips to Africa, but it ended up just looking like some sort mm-hmm. of vehicle for them to... Uh, brand themselves, you know, because they yes. only went on that one trip and they didn't really do a lot while they were there. And then they took mm-hmm. a bunch of pictures and then they posted that online. So it seems like this humble brag sort of thing. Um, yeah. So it's like pointing to that sort of stuff that mm-hmm. maybe on its face looks like it's got good intentions or it's doing the right thing. But mm-hmm. when you delve into it deeper, maybe it's actually problematic. Yeah, you said it. You said what I was trying to say very beautifully. (laughs) Yeah. And I think and I think that's a part of it is like I just look at it. Yeah. And just break it down, you know, and I look at the proximity to certain people like I understand as a white woman, I'm like, I'm I'm pretty comfortable poking fun at myself Mm -hmm. and poking fun at a system that disenfranchises a lot of people that aren't me, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I also look at the things like I'll always try and defer my comedy to those like I'm not ever going to try and tackle a joke that's not, you know, for me. Like, I don't know that I would be going out there trying to be like, yeah, so this is what uh, black women say. Trust me, I'm a white woman. You know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah that, that's, yeah, that wouldn't necessarily look right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just like, I think understanding <laughs> that kind of and, and, and breaking things down like that. And I've been really fortunate that I have, I'm surrounded by a lot of really smart creators um, that also push the agenda like you know that group barely a doll we make a lot of sketches together and we mm. kind of no one's afraid to have hard conversations mm. and i think that's a that's been a big part that comedy brings us in it's like hey do we want to push this line and everyone's kind of like why not you know so it's it's a good gauge of what's possible i guess mm-hmm. you bring up something that is interesting about no one being afraid of having hard conversations i think it's very mm-hmm. hard to do good comedy if you are afraid to have hard conversations mm-hmm. because there there are almost two ends of it too like mm-hmm. there can be a politeness thing of like well i don't want to step on any toes so i won't even say anything and then mm-hmm. you're not delving into anything and you're not cracking mm-hmm. anything open mm-hmm. or you can go the other direction with it too where it's uh out of uh, fear, not of saying the wrong thing, but out of finding something wrong about you or something um, mm-hmm. that yeah. that will keep people from having a conversation. So, how where how do people find the safe space to have these tough conversations so that they can delve into these difficult issues? Yeah, I mean, great question, right? Something that. We're trying to figure out now, I think the biggest thing, and I say this on behalf of like, I mean, it goes for anyone, but I think especially right now, I'm like, I'll ask people all the time. I'm like, how, how willing are you to be uncomfortable? You know, and I think that's a huge aspect. I think there's a lot of people 
you know, predominantly let's look at how things are right now. Like there's especially a lot of when it comes to hard conversations, maybe about race or race and comedy and all this stuff, like I'll ask, you know, my white friends, I'm like, how, like, how ready are you to have feel uncomfortable? Cause you're going to feel uncomfortable. Like in improv, we're in a white male dominated field. So like a lot of this caters to us, you know, for someone like me, it's a lot easier for my humor when I'm on a stage to connect with an audience. Cause 85% of our audience is white. Right. You know? So I'm like, how often am I put in situations that are uncomfortable? Like, I think I can count on my hand the time I perform for an all black audience, you know, and, and things like that. And I think it's important to be like talking about what does that look like? What are the tough conversations? How uncomfortable have I been in my space and recognizing like having conversations with people who aren't like me only invites better, like it's going to just invite better uh, art because who wants to see the same voice on stage all the time right but i think sometimes we're scared of feeling like we might be the problem or people may not like us so we're like well i don't want to have that conversation because i don't want to be told i'm doing something wrong yeah or they can't handle maybe not criticism or getting checked but like maybe a minor correction and that can absolutely really get in the way yeah no you hit the nail on the head i think people are really people don't want to be checked they're like <laughs> Yeah, you know, like I want to do the things that are comfortable, okay? Like, you know, I put up my black square on Instagram. I don't want to be checked for anything harder, you know, and that's mm -hmm. just a small example, but it can it can go across all kinds of spectrums, like, you know, male, female dynamics, all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. And I mm -hmm. think sometimes we are so scared of being checked and it, it inhibits a lot of growth. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I feel like it's a really big thing in the stand-up world. You hear more stand-ups say this in comedy than any other kind of comedian, where they'll say like, oh, such and such is ruining comedy. Like, wokeness mm. is ruining comedy, or political correctness is ruining comedy. When really, mm -hmm. the problems that they always point to as examples mm -hmm. are situations where somebody said something that is on its face offensive and wrong and and not even a joke and someone got criticized heavily for it rightly so that's not really an example of you can't really delve into anything <laughs> difficult yeah. in comedy anymore because that's not true they don't have any examples of that they, the only examples yeah. are like well, this guy used a racial slur, so people mm -hmm. didn't like it. I don't yeah. know why that's that means it's tough to do any kind of comedy now, but it just accountability's hard, right? Mm -hmm. People don't like it. Because if you it's much easier in a system to go, everyone else is the problem, not me. Yeah. You know? And I think we've gotten pretty comfortable and you know, you everyone has their debates on cancel culture and all this stuff. And for me, it's like, we just have lost a complete amount of accountability. No one wants to sit there and be like, yeah, okay. Thank you for bringing that to my attention, mm -hmm. you know? And it could it could serve so much if people were willing to be like, oh, that is not something I experienced before. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Would you mind like kind of walking me, you know? Right. Talk to me about it. Yeah, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and obviously a lot of these conversations go poorly online because some people don't even... They they want to call out, but they don't want to recognize growth, or they don't want to answer. Mm -hmm. And I, it's not like it's not my job to explain to people what the black experience in America is uh, on their mm -hmm. terms, of course. But you yeah. know, if I were to call somebody out about something specific, and they say, 
huh, what are you talking about? I can't then say in every situation, well, how yeah. dare you ask me a question about this? You know, I, that's mm-hmm. an opportunity for me to say, like, here's how I took it. And this is the mm. reason I took it that way. And yeah. if you don't understand it, it's because you have a big blind spot, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily yeah. that I'm so sensitive. It could also be mm-hmm. that you just didn't experience something because why would you have if you're not yes. walking in my shoes, you know? Mm-hmm. But I guess a lot of people are sort of fixated on the maybe the machine of outrage that happens online a lot of times where people are kind mm-hmm. of like not having these conversations in good faith. Whether they are trying to call something out or defend it, they're, it's more like a game to some people. And that can make it difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I mean, there is something, right? Like you're a lot more brave behind a keyboard than you are in person. Right. (laughs) Right. right. (laughs) And so there's also that weird sense of like, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of bravery and a lot of courage to have these conversations in person because in person feels so vulnerable, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it could be pretty, pretty tough when you text stuff. And I, and even going back to your previous point, it's like, it's also just this, we're in this really unique time and it's so necessary that like white people need to be checked hard. And it's hard when there's a majority group who are kind of like, well, this has been the way it's been. And I just say kind of to your own point or to your last point is that like you, there's like, I feel like society's put a responsibility on people of color to be like, Hey, I need to talk to you about how this thing was upsetting. And then Mm. when that happens, people are like, what? Like, maybe that's just how you took it. And it feels like a big, I think it's those blind spots that are like inhibiting us so much because it's like, we're putting the responsibility on people of color to To like prove my offense, to to prove your offense. And it can't just be taken at face value. And it's kind of like, it's just this, you know, it's, I'm sure it's an exhausting conversation. You're like, why do I have to explain to you that this was hurtful, yeah. you know? Right, right. Or someone will share something that's loaded with like buzzwords, um, like white supremacist buzz, buzzwords. And you're like, hey, this is uh, bad. And they're yeah. like, well, explain to me how this YouTube, this 20 minute YouTube video is off base uh, when it says that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes taking notes on some dumbass thing. I'm yeah. not going to watch that. That's like asking yeah. me to go through an annoyance, but also like something emotionally taxing. Yeah. Um, uh, it's especially at certain time periods. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this was like in the thick of the George Floyd um, response to that that murder. So it's like really, I, I'm just not in an emotional place to sit through someone who is playing a game on YouTube basically and trying to up their own status and they're not trying to have a good faith conversation. They're just trying to be a provocateur. I don't need to see any of that stuff because they're trying to annoy me and upset me. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't need that in my life, even though that's been such a like popular thing for people to do. (laughs) Um, and it's, it's those sort of situations that are like, how do you not see what you're doing when you're mm-hmm. asking me this? <laughs> Cause you're not trying to have a conversation yeah. with me. Mm-hmm. You're trying to yeah. have a debate with me. They're trying to, yeah. It's like, I feel like it's one or two things. Like they want to have a debate or it's like, Hey, 
I want you to pat me on the back and tell me I'm doing a good job. <laughs> right, right. A little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, hey, can you make you make sure that I still feel comfortable, like I'm on the right path? And it's like, stop putting this on black people. They do right. not need to like, they don't need to coddle you through, you know, your growth. And they also don't need to be sitting there and educate you. Like, you're an adult. As a woman who's creating comedy that's trying to deal mm-hmm. with hard issues and then, you know, putting it out in the world and Maybe, I don't know, maybe some people have tried to get you in these debates. But I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if creating that kind of work also gives them an opportunity to say, like, well, how how can you bring this subject up if you aren't willing to have a debate about it? And it's like, well, I was making a comedy piece that was about a point. Mm -hmm. But do do you find that? Does that happen for you? Yeah, it depends on like, there was a long time where I was creating like, and I created a lot of content. Um, and I got a lot of people commenting on it. Like I have a TikTok and I've had some, some videos that got an incredible amount of commentary. And for me, it's just a matter of like picking and choosing your energy, right? Like mm-hmm. there are certain people that go like they, they need this. And I always tell myself, I'm like, you know what? You need this more than I do. Mm-hmm. Like, otherwise, why would you invest the time that you're investing? Like there was one video that I had like death threats about mm. something. And it was very silly. It was just me like, it's a 15 second video of me walking home. And it's like, the caption is like, when you're home for five minutes and then it comes up and someone says, all lives matter. You know, I have like grandparents who have said things like, you know, all lives matter. And mm-hmm. the joke is that I take my suitcase and I run off the dock. Mm-hmm. And like jump into the water, like I'm going to swim back to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I just remember on that video, a bunch of people were like, if I were there, I would have like held you down. Like, it was very like crazy. Oh, God. And some of the responses. And I just remember thinking like to, to have this kind of visceral response to something only shows me how deep, like how deep rooted that thing is like to, to respond so hatefully i'm like this person is i think they're just they're desperate for something if it's attention yeah and something really hurt and broken about them i guess but it's yeah uh. and so i don't know i don't know that there's a right answer i think i get really i get more sad like i'm 30 years old i'll be okay in comments you know more often than not i meet all of them with love i'm like i'm sorry you think that i wish you all the best you know, cause people, they, they want a, a knife fight. I'm more on uh, my heart breaks for the 13 year olds who are on TikTok and these apps where people can comment and they can say anything they want. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Ooh, to not know yourself at 13. Like you don't know yourself at 13. No. Yeah. You just being you're just being a kid. And yeah, you know, if you get, it's something, there's something very bizarre mm-hmm. um, about how we're engaging with, stuff i'm not saying it's bad that the stuff exists but Mm -hmm. um it there's something very strange about like how people engage each other and uh i mean whether it's people who are being skeptical about what black lives matter is about and they're saying mean stuff to black people or they are saying mean Mm -hmm. stuff to women of any age or these kids Especially, they're they you know might get in a debate about Taylor Swift or something like that, and it's like they're, yeah, they're debating with an adult, and it's like why is this adult talking to them this way? Like this yeah. is strange. 
And then so many of, of young people have thousands of followers, maybe even tens of thousands of followers, and it just mm-hmm. seems, no, I don't know. I, I mean, that hasn't historically gone great when teenagers get a bunch of attention and yeah. uh, notoriety in the public. So I'm not super comfortable with the idea of these 16-year-olds have 100,000 followers and they are now engaging in the machine of putting out a bunch of content for some yeah. kind of worth. I mean, sometimes they're getting money or, or products, but which is like, yeah. okay, fine. Who, would, who wouldn't want free products? But, oh gosh, the, oh, I don't know. It's dark. Yeah. It's a dark world. It makes you really like, even me, right? Like I'll, I'll flip through it and I'll see someone dancing. I'm like, I was with my friend the other day. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this person's like a really good dancer. And they're like, that child is 15. And I'm like, why are you on my TikTok? You know what I mean? Like even in mm-hmm. my mind is someone just like, I felt weird watching a 15 year old dance. And I'm like, people, you know what I mean? I'm like, There's they a- weren't even doing anything provocative. I no, just was like, yeah. Oh, you're 15. Yeah, and I have the same experience with TikTok. And it's so bizarre because, um, I mean, I've gotten it with the algorithm doesn't even send me anyone dancing on TikTok. But that Charlie girl who's famous on TikTok. Yeah, she's um, a child. She's a child. She's like 16, maybe. 16 years old, I think. She's 16, yeah. And uh, my girlfriend also will watch TikTok. And I found out about Charlie and her family or her group or whatever yeah her sister or something i think is also yeah. really popular but i heard it from the standpoint of like this is a 15 16 year old girl who's like mm-hmm. famous on tiktok and i was like okay sounds like it's not for me um and if when i but i had that same experience when i first got on tiktok and saw people dancing i was just like no no no, no this feels weird but i saw charlie <laughs> on the tonight show and i didn't feel as weird seeing her do the same thing she does on tiktok but yeah. on the Tonight Show, because I guess my brain is saying like this is an entertainment show that it's just showing entertainers doing mm-hmm. their thing that they're famous for mm-hmm. doing. Whereas in TikTok, it's like it's my it's my phone, and it's, yeah, it's like almost for my eyes only, I guess, because it's in my hands. Yeah. So it feels yeah. maybe that's what feels weird about seeing a a young person <laughs> dance on I- your phone. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And I would also add on that I think there's an added level of vulnerability that oftentimes these videos are in their home, in their bedroom, in their bathrooms. And you're like, I'm in your space. I feel like I'm in this child's space. Yeah, You know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't keep, I don't ever just like have people in my bedroom, you know? (laughs) Right. And so I think there's also this like, we, it's broken down. Like their generation is just like, you're in my room now. And I'm like, so you guys just like let people in your room what are you doing Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i guess going back to like you know your original comment about seeing that you know and seeing comments and people are getting hate is i also try and remind myself that as like as a white woman it is a privilege to have to it's a privilege to experience this thing online Mm -hmm. in a safety barrier Mm -hmm. you know like i if i I chose to make some of the content, you know what I mean? Like I choose to make my content. I mm-hmm. I know that the outcome could be negative. I know that there's going to be things and I still make the choice. So it's remembering that, you know, my actions, like I choose, I could choose not to do this and not face that. I'm also not really ever going to face it head on. 
And so I think it's really, it's a good, I think it's a reminder when people get so caught up. I'm like, Hey, if you feel this uncomfortable after a choice is being made for something you're doing, imagining what we're doing to our communities, you know, of color and like the trans community, all these people who visibly have to carry this thing and don't have a choice in the backlash that they feel. So Mm-hmm. For me, it's oftentimes like, yeah, I'll get hates and stuff like that. But it, I'm always, I try my best to be like, yeah, well, at least, you know, your hate is pretty minor. You know, people are doing it on a TikTok app. They're not going mm-hmm. out of their way when they find you. So it's, it's disturbing though. And I, yeah. I, I don't know how to encourage it um, ending. I don't know how to, I mean, I, I, I hope it ends, but I don't know how to how to help get us there. You know, it, it's just, so much of it is is just straight up misogyny. I mean, I just don't think mm-hmm. you experience that really in the same way online remotely. I mean, mm-hmm. every once in a while, they I think someone has to be particularly famous for a guy to get the, the level of hate. Uh, a woman who's not famous, but uh, on the internet gets, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, um, it's strange. It's strange. And I, I, I don't know every, when it's, whenever I see it, I'm always, my mind is sort of boggled, um, at yeah. wh- that it's happening at all. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it's interesting. It's, I think there's been a lot of, uh, there was a lot of talk about bravery and comedy. You know, where people are like, mm-hmm. it's particularly telling women like, oh, this is so brave that you're putting this out. And then there is some pushback um, uh, from men saying like, oh, it's not brave. It's just comedy. We're just putting out comedy. Uh, why, are, why is anyone calling it brave? And I think it's because of what you're talking about. You chose to put something out, something that was mm-hmm. in your head, something that was personal to you. You chose to make it and put it out and then got some weird misogyny from it that has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the work you put out or your capabilities of putting that work out, which is what men are judged on. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I don't know where I was necessarily going with that, but it just seems like that is the reason it's brave. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you believe this woman did comedy? Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, can you, yeah, she got up, she went out there and, and um, it's like the face having to put, or putting work out, in the face of that is incredibly brave. Cause I don't know that I yeah. would do it. Yeah. I mean, and it is, it's like, I think a, uh, Amy Schumer has a great joke about, she did the cover of a magazine and it was like, it wasn't nude. It was like, you know, she was covered, but her body was naked. Mm-hmm. And she said, someone came up to her and they're like, you're so brave. And she's like, yeah, that's the thing you want to hear after you do like a nude. It's like, you're so brave. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's so funny because you hear that with women, right? It's like, <sighs> how often do women hear, yeah, she's really funny for a female comic or like oh, she's really gosh. funny for a comic in general. And it's it's that, always like, this gross, um, oh, it's like it's a novelty for a woman to yeah. do comedy. It's like, oh, well, women were in vaudeville doing comedy. Yeah. It's yeah. literally, you know, like mm-hmm. American comedy is as old as vaudeville. So yeah. women were there in the beginning. Like mm-hmm. a bunch of women were writing on SNL the very first season mm-hmm. of SNL. The very the second season had a woman as the weekend update anchor. This is not news to anybody. Yeah. 
<laughs> what, it shouldn't be at least. I, I think I saw and read somewhere that Gilda, Gilda Radner was the first person ever cast for SNL. So they I cast right. a woman first. And I'm like, oh, how about that? Yeah. But yeah, it's a, there's been a lot of trailblazing women that have kind of like, you know, yeah, there's a women, women dealt with a lot of bullshit for a long time in comedy and it's getting a lot better. You know, it's, I continue to say it's a really great time. It feels like, it feels like a nice, I don't know that I want to say great time, right? Cause you're still, there's still bullshit all the time, but I love the idea that I feel the empowerment between women and for women is growing and it's, it's really, really fun to see. It's fun for me to like when I was teaching improv and, and doing it, you just see a lot more women showing up than you do. It's equal. It's like 50, 50. And you're like, this is amazing. This wasn't always the case. It's very exciting. That was uh, an experience I had moving here when I was at alchemy, at least half of the theaters women, but really? um, yeah, I think I, that's my recollection is that it's like probably mostly women it just seems like that's the case like maybe a uh 45 55 sort of split or something like that but i could be wrong but there weren't as many people of color as me and a couple other people so um, mm -hmm. then moving to new york and the split there's still tons of women but now it's like so many people of color and uh cool. and different and not just black and white like that's how things can get kind of pared down to in South Carolina mm -hmm. when it comes to race stuff, but it's, mm. it's everybody because it's a melting yeah. pot. So it was, uh, it was interesting to see that, uh, that shift. Cool. Yeah. What's that been like, you know, going from the South to New York or like, you know, South Carolina improv to New York improv. Cause I've been to New York once and I was really fascinated. I thought the style was totally different. Mm. I, so I'm at the Magnet, and cool. um, yeah, and I I saw them at a festival down south, and I just fell in love with the approach and the style of the performers, and then they came down to New South when I was still there, and uh, I got to perform with them, and I really looked up to all of them, and uh, and still look up to them, because I know them now, which is weird, but um, cool. <laughs> they're like these Greek gods that came down from New York. Uh, they and, fell off uh, their pedestal and became human. <laughs> yes. And I got to be on stage with them. And then now up here, they're friends of mine. Um, cool. Sweetest people in the world. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, there were a couple of big adjustments maybe. And, and one was just like, oh, even more of my people here. Cool. Um, so there was that just sort of welcoming thing. And then when it came to the style, I was just, because I was already pretty familiar with the approach magnet takes, I was just super game for it. I just really wanted to hunker down cool. with it. Uh, so that, mm -hmm. that was really my experience. It was, uh, I think maybe at first it was a little tough to sort of shake the, uh, have a strong initiating line that sort of paints the scene or, or, mm. Mm -hmm. uh, sets up the game in a really clear, funny way. Um, that took a minute to shake. Um, mm. but I wanted to sort of shake that because that, there's a, to me, because I, I'm as a comedian, I don't feel like I'm really built that way to, gotcha. to just have bit. Okay. I think if you're a bit machine, you can do game improv like nobody's business. 
but I'm yeah. not a bit machine. And I'm, I'm one who wants to, as we were talking about before, uh, it's sort of experience what I'm getting from the other person and, and then incorporate that into how I'm being. And let's, let's act, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's find common ground and then, um, figure out how, what this dynamic is and, and yeah, let it like bleed out and really find yeah. it. Sure. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. I'm not a bit machine. I can't do bits, 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 bits. I'm like, oh, I got to sink into this one a little bit. Yeah. And I, I love Ben Schwartz. He's one of my mm-hmm. favorites, but I, mm-hmm. I just cannot do what he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a talented guy. Yeah. It's so funny to watch people that do things so drastically different than me. And I'm like, that's good. <laughs> How? That's does good, it, though. Does it make you question uh, yourself like it makes me question my, <laughs> myself? Yes, all the time. Any person that I ever meet that's a little bit funny, I'm like, "You're I, why do I? Why am I doing comedy? You should do comedy, not that's, me." That's um, it's sort of helpful to hear you say that because I do that so much, and then I'm like down on myself about mm. my ability. I think you're great, and and I have only scratched the surface of the work that you've done, and you feel that Thank same you. way. So that kind of says. Maybe you shouldn't be like so down on yourself. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm no. looking at you like, wow, she's so great. She's figured it out. Well, no, she has not. She has not. <laughs> um, I just think it's like because the the older I get, the more comfortable I'm getting with saying like, yes, I have talent, but it's also that I've put time into it, you know, and you commit to something. And I think for sometimes we as performers, you know, we have this misconception that we are the funniest person that's ever going to live. And I'm like, more often than not, some of the funniest people I know are not intentionally funny people. And, you know, we find our strengths and stuff like that. So I have it all the time. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, okay. This is a career choice. I know I have this. I'm always working at it, which I don't think everyone always is. And, I have that drive because I love it. But yeah, very often, like, especially like I'm around my siblings and all of them are, my brothers are insurance salesmen. One of them works in like a hospital and they're the funniest people I know. And I'm like, you really should have pursued this. You're (laughs) so much funnier than me. Yeah. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is real. I have it all the time. I'm like, this was a mistake. What should I, I should do something else. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, we need, we can hash this that out later i need uh i need uh, all the encouragement <laughs> all the encouragement i can get but uh we have reached the end of the episode and it's oh my gosh time wow. to create something i know it's gone by like that it's been wonderful to talk to you um you too thank you but we should create something together and i'm wondering let's do it what we should create so yeah. um we've talked a lot about improv and we've we've also talked a lot about breaking an idea that's maybe a uh, difficult subject matter or, or tough subject mm. matter, hard truths. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one avenue you'd prefer to go? Or are you interested in uh, a third avenue that we haven't? Ooh, I mean, it, they're both great. I really liked us kind of diving into this conversation of like breaking down, you know, what, what yeah like difficult content and mm-hmm. where does it fit and how do we fit into it and what's our responsibility i think mm-hmm. that's cool okay yeah let's uh should we uh try to uh, 
exemplify as best we can what a hard conversation might look like to sort of make. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, so what's a hard, I feel like a lot of, uh, talk shows who, and I, like, I, I really admire a lot of the talk shows. Um, they are really good at breaking down these sort of tough things <laughs> that I mm-hmm. can't ever find humor in. Uh, mm-hmm. And I guess I guess many of them aren't like taking the George Floyd case and then finding humor in it, but they are taking things that are maybe a bummer, like the last four years uh, was a bummer mm-hmm. for a lot of people with Trump. And then uh, um, not right now, the Matt Gates stuff, like that's really sensitive material because we're talking about potentially uh, uh, very troubling things that are happening to minors, you know? Um, so yeah. how do you find humor in that? Um, I, I, is there a particular topic that comes to mind that we could uh, try to figure out how to find humor in? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty fresh. I was going to say I've been kind of like thinking about what I could do because like, it's been on my mind is the young man that was killed in Minneapolis. Dante Wright. Right, yeah. And the it came out just that... <laughs> The officer went to tase him and then shot him. Yes. And I, I, I mean, that in itself, I hear that and I'm like, how can you not explode this into comedy? You want the world to hear that and not go, what? Right. You've been trained in your firearms for six years and more. And right. that's so there's something in that if you want mm-hmm. to try and tackle that. Yeah. That, yeah. And that, of course. And, and just for the listener, it's not that we're trying to find humor in what happened to Dante Wright or mm-hmm. humor directly in the situation, but it's something that's on our mind and how does that mm-hmm. get computed into yeah. comedy? Um, yeah. So it's not comedy about the wrong thing, I just want to say. Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you, you said that. And it's I think that's important for me to articulate as well is that, yeah, I'm not trying to never trying to mock the thing and the tragedy of the thing, you know, because this was tragic. This never should have happened. It's now looking at for someone like me, I see that. And like, this is tragic. How do we, how do we like, cause comedy is in the extremes. How do I take this situation and put it to an extreme to a point that we're like, you see how ridiculous this aspect is, right? We're Mm -hmm. all on the same page, you know? And so like you take this issue with this cop and you mm-hmm. fixate on that one, like that's that falsehood, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a bunch of truths. This is tragic. This shouldn't have happened. A falsehood mm-hmm. is that it's common to, you know, mistake your gun for your taser. Right. They're built differently. They uh, weigh differently. Yeah. They they actually trained to put the gun on their dominant hand, but the taser on their non-dominant hand. Uh, and so they know that it's on their non-dominant yeah. hand. And yet... Mm-hmm. Still pulled the gun. Yeah. So that's why I say is like looking at that, if like as a right as like a like a sketch writer, I go, mm-hmm. great, there's a falsehood. Let me just blow that up. So I would make a joke about like how many different ways, you know, like her training and the dominant hand and something like that, you mm-hmm. know. And I was also thinking, and this is where I always go wrong with this stuff and why I just give up. <laughs> trying to find humor in these situations is that I I end up just making a statement that's not a joke. Uh, but in this mm. particular case, it's, you know, they tell us not to comply, 
or that we should have just complied. And now it's that they can't tell their guns apart. Like how many excuses are they trying to use here just to get away with shooting black people? And that's not a joke, but I guess it's an angle. But by the time I get there in a subject like this, I'm too angry to sort of find humor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you're, you're essentially doing Jason. A lot of what I do is like, I'll take something like that. And you can find multiple things, right? Like the the idea of complying. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could take that and heighten it. Like that, again, goes back to that falsehood. What's a falsehood? That if you comply, you'll be fine. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. comply. Mm-hmm. And so I can make a joke. I try and make a joke about someone complying and pulling out like, here's my birth certificate. You know, like they do mm-hmm. all the things to comply. Mm-hmm. And that's a way of like, because I think how you can find funny and hard things is to take one element and just, again, take it to the extreme. Like, Mm -hmm. what's it going to take for a Black man being pulled over to not be in this situation? Mm. Like, do you see how ridiculous it might be? Like, you know, if if we had someone pulling out 15 different pieces of, like, here I was at this time, you know? Mm -hmm. Here's Mm -hmm. this. Here's a photo of me with my kid. Like, they could do all these things, and then by the end of the bit, they still get arrested. Yeah. Because it's like... And here's a weird thought that I had because earlier I was talking to someone about uh, filters on like mm. phones or on Zoom and how like pervasive they are and just they're all over the place. And I was thinking, is it going to be a, eventually? It's is there going to be some way in the future for us to just put a filter on our face when we walk around? Uh, we don't have to apply mm. makeup. We don't have to do anything. We just turn on this filter. And, th- and so yeah. having that random thought earlier uh, and now talking about this, it makes me think, okay, what's it going to take for black men to not get shot by cops? Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe it's putting a filter on that makes them a white guy when they're driving a car mm-hmm. and they don't get pulled over or something. I, I mean, <laughs> that's maybe derivative of the SNL white like me sketch with uh, Eddie Murphy dressing up as a white guy. But that's... Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's maybe the, um, uh, what's that show? The futuristic. Show. Oh, Black Mirror. Yeah, maybe it's the Black Mirror version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, that uh, that's a very like that in itself is very funny, you know, like like a filter on Instagram where they're like <laughs> put a white guy's face on it and they're trying to apply <laughs> for a job or something. Like they make a joke like, oh, mm-hmm. look, I can, uh, you know, some dumb like that. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Um, and is, so is this the sort of war? And then at this point, it's just putting comedy tests, putting things to the comedy test. Like, how does mm-hmm. this work? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how do we punch this up so that it's funny? Yeah. Like, because it's funny you ask this because I'll literally kind of in a small way walk you through what I did with this because I heard about this and I thought about that officer and I thought the gun. I did think about um, the not comply, but another one was like the warrant, you know, right now. Fox News keeps trying to poster. They're like, he had warrants out for his arrest. And I was like, well, if you do a little bit of research and it doesn't take much, you'd find out that he had a warrant out because he pled guilty to having one joint on him when he was 16. And so he had to pay a small fine. Like, And Minnesota decriminalizes weed. So mm-hmm. he had to pay a small fine. And like, he didn't pay. He didn't make one of the payments or a couple of the payments. So there's a warrant out. And so it's like, for me, I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is the big criminal that Fox News was like, 
man with warrants, warrants. I'm right. like, do you know what his warrant was for? It's like, not a violent criminal that needed to be even taken yes. in. Yes. Like, why yeah. couldn't the re- response have just been, hey, look, there's a warrant out because you didn't pay this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. So here's a ticket. Like, why can't there be a ticket in that situation? Yeah. Um, and it was such a small amount of money. Like, you know, like we've, how many people on Wall Street that are robbing the American people? And we're like, this guy, we need that 150 bucks now. Right. Or we're going to. And so that was just another, like, I play around with these ideas. I'm like, oh, how mm-hmm. could we heighten this? Like mm-hmm. what it takes to get a warrant out for your arrest, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and like things you could do like a cop. Yeah. You know? so there's just elements like that. I'm like, there really is a lot of comedy in truth. Like you have a situation yeah. right now that is hard and awful. And I'm like, you want, let's call out some of the bullshit in the room that like, Mm. This warrant should have never existed. Mm-hmm. The fact that this our, there's obviously a broken police system. Mm-hmm. Let's go from there. So okay, that's kinda... very interesting. I liked how you put it too, of just like looking at like, well, what's bullshit about mm-hmm. this? Um, yeah, uh, because you know it's that's sort of that's. Well, I won't say it's not like finding the game of the scene, but you are finding like the 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 weird thing. Like find, you're mm-hmm. finding the thing that sticks out as, as a, a particular thing. In this case, like, well, this is bullshit. Uh, mm-hmm. And when it's something that's ridiculous and it's easier to lampoon, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Because you're lampooning the ridiculous thing. Once you have your angle and your, your, you've written a thing out and you've, you've punched it up, are, during that process of writing it out and punching it up, are you still often finding yourself having to be careful with the material since it was inspired by something that's maybe more difficult or by that point, has it been removed so much from what could be offensive or hurtful uh, that Mm. it's not a problem anymore? You know, yeah, it's a, it's always a learning curve too. Uh like Jason, like, I don't think, I'm, I'm not one that will write something and then just put it out there. I usually write it and send it off to people and kind of be like, Hey, what do you think? Is this too much? Is it not enough? Is it Mm -hmm. even funny? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the importance too, of collaboration, Mm -hmm. collaboration with people that aren't like you Mm -hmm. and, you know, seeing how these things hit and, and you're still, I just also think that like, don't be afraid of the fact that there also might be backlash in the future. Like I did a video that kind of played up on like being pulled over if you're white versus black. And there's some joke in there. And I, you know, put it out there and someone later was like, Hey, you should really put a trigger warning on things like this. This can really, and so you're just always learning, you know, like yeah. at that point too, I was mm-hmm. kind of like, Oh shit. Yeah, you're right. That's on me. And you, so I think there's still, I say, put your work out to people. You'll get back, you know, have people you trust. And then also be prepared that you're, for lack of a better word, going to fuck up yeah. and own it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no one's perfect. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think some of maybe the disingenuous sort of discussions online have made people feel like uh, they can't even make a mistake. You know, one mm-hmm. one false move and people are going to try to cancel them because there are unfortunately people who are trying to, like, create outrage yeah. over something that they're not really even offended by. But that's not the big <laughs> stuff. I'm not pointing to the real situations and saying that that's what's happening there. But yeah. um, 
I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's there's got to be room for, oh, I could have worded that better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it is, and, uh, or room for, yeah, they could have worded that better, but they're not an awful person. I'm not going to, you know, mm-hmm. like, get to, they, yeah. there's got to be room for mistakes because we all make them. Yes, exactly. And yeah, don't be afraid to kind of like, I guess, use the word body them, yeah. own them, take responsibility mm-hmm. for them. Be like, oh, yeah. yeah, that wasn't ideal. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. Right. But you know, right. there's certain things that it's also like, I think most people know things you just shouldn't do. Yeah. You know, like you do some shitty or racist or homophobic or sexist and it goes up online. Like, you knew what you were doing. Yeah. But. If people call you out on something, that's a small change. I think people know, I like to think people know your intentionality, you know? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Uh, I think, um, you know, it depends sometimes maybe what circle you're hearing from on Twitter, but, uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, when people are pointing stuff out, they're being sincere and they're not, Yeah, they're not trying to like make a big deal out of nothing. And, mm-hmm. um, they're also not trying to like ruin someone's career over yeah um they're just trying to say like hey this thing uh is an issue (laughs) can you address it Um, for sure you know well there it is hannah this has been an awesome talk i really loved having you on thanks for being on thank you thank you so much for having me on it was it was delightful to talk to you hopefully i'll get to do it again i hope we get to talk again too it felt so good to talk to her she's so nice When we cut, she was being really encouraging about the podcast. And then a couple of days later, she messaged me to encourage me again about the podcast. So it really meant a lot to me. Aside from being super nice, she's also super funny and talented. You should follow her on Instagram and TikTok. Follow at hey underscore Hannah underscore Ray. That's R-A-E. And don't forget about Amber Nash's Kickstarter, howtoruintheholidays.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at thereitispod. And also go to thereitispod.com so you can find out about our newsletter and how you can support us. Links in bio. Great episode next week. Brian James O'Connell is back. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 